beautiful music, beautiful congregational singing. Please appreciate our musicians. Um, and for you, Elder Bill, yes, thank you for being up front. You always have such a lovely, gracious way of sharing everything. And uh, we appreciate you. Well, we're going to be looking at intelligent design therapy. We're looking at relationships still. We'll be looking at part two. And as we had talked about, intelligent design is the belief that God had made things just the way he wanted them. There's a purpose behind everything, the way we were made, even the way he makes us or made us to have relationships, not just with him, but with one another. Let us pray. Father, we are, when we're born, we don't know how to relate, but you allow us to, to learn throughout our life how to always get better, uh, to seek for truth, to know the right way to do things. Thank you for your patience, Father, um, and teaching us your ways. And now we just want to leave this message in your hands, asking you would be honored. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll be looking at uh, relationships part two. In part one, we kind of talked about that relationship really begins with, um, did I turn it on? Yeah, I think so. Is the red button a good thing? Yep. Or the red light? <laughs> I think that means that's good, isn't it? <laughs> Okay. All right, well, let's go ahead and look at our first slide. It's uh, pretty much going to tell the direction we're going to go this morning. The fact is, is that people were attracted to Jesus because he knew how to communicate. He knew how to relate with people and, and develop relationships. But let's see what it says here in Desire of Ages 254. The beauty of his continents, the loveliness of his character above all, the love expressed in look and tone drew to him all who were not hardened in unbelief. So there, that tells me that not everybody was attracted to them. There were some people who had hardened their heart even to Jesus. And you may meet people like that in this life. But thankfully, mostly, I think people's lives or hearts are opened. Okay? Had it not been for the sweet, sympathetic spirit that shone out in every look and word, he would not have attracted the large congregations that he did. So when relating with people so far, it matters your continence. It matters your spirit. And if you can talk to people in such a way that all your words are kind and courteous all the time, in every circumstance, your chances of developing relationships is, is heightened, okay? Where a lot of relationships break down, and I, I had a phone call and a text this week that was very toxic. And I'm not going to read any of it to you, but I can tell you right now, that's not the way to make friends. It's not the way to build relationships. You have to be kind and courteous. It's the only way you're going to make bridges in relating to other people. The afflicted ones who came to him felt that he linked his interests with theirs as a faithful and tender friend, and they desired to know more of the truths he taught. 
Now, I want to focus on this part a little bit. Heaven was brought near. They longed to abide in his presence that the comfort of his love might be with them continually. So it wasn't simply that Jesus had a smile. It wasn't that he just simply made said things in a nice way. But he had a way of bringing heaven closer to everybody. You see, you can be nice and have a smile and just talk about earthly things. Or you can be nice and courteous with a continence that, like the sun. But the purpose in our relationships is to help everybody think a little bit more heavenly. Because the way we were designed, we weren't designed just to have relationships with our own species. And I don't want to sound like an evolutionist, because I'm not. We were designed to be able to have a relationship with God. So, and we were designed, because of that, we were designed that in our relationships with one another, we actually relate to one in one way, in, in a way that we're helping one another get better prepared for, for heaven. That is the right kind of way of relating with people, but it's easy just to fall into relating with people and only talk about things on the earth. But you, we got to remember we weren't designed that way. And if that's all we do, and that's what most people in the world do, everything is of an earthly nature in their conversations and in their planning, and they'll never fully be satisfied in their life. There will always be a longing of something that isn't quite right. And that emptiness is God. That emptiness is knowing that God loves them and that God will forgive them of every one of their sins. And everybody deserves to have someone come into their life and relate to them like that, don't they? Every person deserves that kind of friend. Um, think about the things that Jesus said. So Jesus is, was bringing heaven closer to people in the way he talked and his expressions. Think about the times when Jesus would keep saying the kingdom of heaven is likened unto this. Over and over. He didn't say the earth is like this. People knew what the earth was like. And he knew that they knew that he knew what it was like. All their perplexities. But what they didn't know enough of was what? Heaven. They didn't know enough about heaven to know how to deal with their problems on earth. And Jesus was saying, look, if I can teach you what heaven's like, that will teach you how to solve your problems down here. And ultimately, that's the problem with every government in the world and every other thing in the world is they're trying to operate without heaven's principles. But if we would go by heaven's principles, we would solve all the problems in the world. And so we need to be thinking more in terms of how do we bring heaven closer into ourselves and we're thinking more that way and we begin to relate to people more that way. Does that make sense? Jesus would say, think of all the different ways Jesus would bring up heaven. So he'd use parables in that first one. Lay not up yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Lay up not for yourselves treasures, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So Jesus knew that people desired to have a treasure they 
It's almost as if we find our self-worth in what we have or own or possess. But can you possess heavenly things right now? Yeah, you can lay up treasure. Now, you're not going to get your new body yet. And you can't have your mansion yet. But what can you have right now? You can have, what's that? A Christ-likeness? Is that what you said? Absolutely. You can have patience. And you can have, you can have the characteristics of those who live in heaven. You, can, you and I can all start behaving like people. I'm not saying you're not. But we can be like those in heaven in our behavior and the way we talk and so forth. How we keep our time and, and so forth. Jesus, and even in his uh, Sermon on the Mount, he starts off this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it was just as if Jesus, he couldn't not talk about heaven when he'd talk about things. Heaven was the key. Because the problem isn't in heaven, it's here now. Okay? After this manner, he, even when he says, teaches us how to pray, this is how we begin. Our Father which art in it's even how you begin praying. In my Father's house. So what we're looking forward, in my Father's house where? In heaven. And, if, and, and I'm preparing a place for you. And I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you where? We have to be way more heavenly minded. And, uh, and that's how we get to heaven. Is being heavenly minded. Uh, heaven was brought near. No, notice this statement also, Desire of Ages 254. He taught that heaven and earth were what? Linked together. linked together. We need to think that heaven and earth are actually linked together. He, of course, provides that link. And that a knowledge of divine truth prepares men better to perform the duties of everyday life. So what we need more are the truths that everybody lives by in heaven and talk more about heaven because that is our hope. But they're doing it right up there. We're not doing it right down here amongst us as a human family. There's a lot of wrong things going on down here, but it's going right up there. We need to know that. But there's a link. We need to realize that God created us that way. And what is Lucifer's? We look at this bottom statement. Lucifer sought. Isn't that what he did when he was talking out to Eve about God? Well, God knows that if he eat of this fruit... You'll be last gods, and you're not going to die. What was he trying to do? He was trying to sever the relationship that Eve had with, with heaven, with God. To make her feel like she could probably be the goddess of this world without the God of heaven. You see what the devil's doing? He, he tries to make us more earthly-minded. And he does that by getting us to look at the things of the world. And the more you desire the things of the world, the more you become worldly-minded and less heavenly-minded. If he can get you to contemplate all your perplexities and difficulties in life, is he doing the same thing? If he gets you to contemplate the, the problems and the weaknesses and the faults of others, is he doing the same thing? Earthly-minded, earthly-minded, earthly-minded. And what God needs is a people who are heavenly-minded. That doesn't mean you're of no earthly use, being so heavenly-minded. What we're to do is to learn the things of heaven and implement them here, and it becomes attractive to people. Okay? 
look at a couple of these statements here. Daniel's praying. This is Daniel chapter 9. While Daniel was praying, the angel Gabriel came to Daniel and said, I'm come forth to give thee skill and understanding, and I'm come to show thee, for thou art... Have you ever thought about heaven loving you? Heavenly beings thinking about you, loving you? Uh, what's the next one? Genesis, Jacob's dream. What did he see? He saw a ladder. And what's, this, what's descending up and down? Angels. And there's this beautiful vision by Sister White where around the Father's throne are billions of angels. And they're all waiting for what? For God to send them on a mission. Where? Planet Earth. Every one of them wants to descend and ascend and descend and ascend up and down just so they can be in contact with humanity. It's how much heaven loves us. Um, of all the of all the intelligent beings throughout the universe, the beings that think the less about heaven is is humanity, right? And yet we're the ones who need to be thinking about it the most. But see, we have an enemy that keeps our minds earthly. And we talked about last Sabbath I was here, the carnal mind that keeps focusing on things that are of earth, things that are sensual, things that are materialistic. And we've got to make sure that we have we're more spiritually minded and care more about spiritual things, and especially us as a last generation, because Jesus is what? He's coming actually very soon. Um, I don't know the day or hour, but the signs are there. And of course, he would have already been here if we were more heavenly minded. But that's what the devil does. He knows that if he gets us to watch enough television, we're going to have less interest in studying our Bibles. If he gets us more concerned about what's happening in the world, we talk more about the pandemic, and we talk more about the economy, and we talk more about the war in Ukraine, and the more we talk... Not that we should never talk about or pray about these things, but if you become so consumed by the beast and the mark of the beast and everything else, we're not thinking about heaven enough. And I'm not saying we don't think about these things at all, but we've got to put it in perspective. Well, we're, we're not preparing to talk about bad things like the news. We're the ones who are supposed to be giving the good news. Okay. Oh, that's the other one. The, the angel of prophecy, which is probably Gabriel in the book of Revelation, comes to John the Revelation and says, I am thy what? I'm a fellow servant with you. Can you imagine being talked to by the angel of prophecy, Gabriel? I mean, he's like an archangel. Uh, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. To, to think in terms that one of the highest angels in heaven sees us as a brother and just a fellow servant. You see, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? I wonder how anxious the angels are for the second coming where they can reap the earth of those who will possess, possess eternal life. Because when that day finally comes, because you know the war started up there. 
But when that day finally comes, we'll have glorious new bodies like them. And there'll be no more division. Just face-to-face communication. They hunger for that more than we are. And we should hunger for it. Right? So let's talk a little bit about how, how did Jesus communicate with people um, to help people be more heavenly-minded. This is a very familiar quote, uh, Ministry of Healing. Christ's method alone will give true success in what? And I could say relating to people, helping people be more heavenly-minded, to be involved, to connected to people. Uh, the Savior would, he, well, this is only logical. He'd have to do what? You've you got to mingle with people. You can't relate or connect to them, right? You've you got to start mingling with people, but you do so as one who desires their good. Amen. You don't mingle with people to get something from them. Amen. You mingle with people as one who desires their good. So it's a different way of looking at it. How many people out there would like to have a friend like that? Everybody. Everybody wants a friend like that. He showed his sympathy for them. That doesn't mean he went around feeling sorry for everybody. He showed it. He showed his sympathy, his empathy, his concern. And that led him to minister to their needs, which are kind of a separate thoughts and kind of the same thought. And and so doing, he won their confidence. Then he could say, you know, come follow me. Yes, yes. okay. So we talked about a little bit last week. It's not... the, the how many friends you have is the quality of that relationship. Would you be better off having a friend who loved Jesus too or 20 friends who didn't follow Jesus? And as you go through life, you probably had more friends when you're age 20 than if you're 60 today than you do today. They may not even be the same friends anymore. People get jobs. People move away. People die. Things change. And we have to learn to make new friends. You know, I had a lot of friends at age 20. Then I became a Christian, but none of my friends were Christians. None of my friends were interested in being Christians. I was working at a discotheque. Put in my two-week notice. You know, they're playing that kind of music, you know. And I thought, hmm, Jesus loves me and I can't work here anymore, you know. So I knew I needed to listen to different music and I needed to make new friends. That's not always easy. It may not, it may be out of your comfort zone. Because what if people reject me? What if people don't like me? What if they don't like Jesus? What if I never find somebody? So the best place for me to look for new friends was where? A church. And that's why we should never forsake. Because there's a lot of lonely people out there who love the Lord, but they don't have any friends. And they need friends. And the best place to find friends is here. Because it's not the quantity. It's the quality of those relationships. But what makes these relationships better is if when we are together, we're more heavenly-minded because we can have conversations, too, that are completely earthly. Is that right? And we need to continue. Not that there isn't real things to talk about here, 
But there's something about being able to go to church and it's safe. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have this. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to. And you can make friends. Because in the world, sometimes that matters. They don't want to be your friend because of the color of your skin or because you don't drive a nice enough car or, you know, you can't afford the, you know. But it shouldn't be that way in church. It shall not be that way among you is the words of Jesus, right? But learning how to relate to people is not where we started in life. Unless you were very fortunate, they have born-again parents who knew Jesus and were always kind to you and always said the right things and gave you always the right examples. But for the vast majority of the people in the world and the people that we're trying to reach, it's not the kind of life they grew up with. Their first teacher wasn't Jesus. Their first teacher was their parents. And so as we look at childhood, we children watch their parents, they listen to their parents, they mimic their caregivers. And sometimes that family structure changes. Sometimes there's a divorce. Sometimes there's a death in the family. Maybe one of the caregivers gets into substance abuse. And everything starts changing. And people don't relate the same anymore. Okay? And, and then you get old enough and you go to school. And you're going to wind up spending more time with your classmates than you do your parents in some ways. And then your teacher becomes kind of significant. Does your teacher like her or don't like her? You see, this all affects people's, how they learn to relate to people. And because some people don't have, you know, I mean, I know Zolt knows people who had a terrible upbringing. And it's one of the reasons they're in prison. It's not because they were born bad. And it's not that they can't change. They just never learned how to solve conflict. They didn't learn how to relate properly to make the right kinds of friends, to be in the right kinds of uh, environment. Amen. Yes. And so when you, when you kind of just look at a, a basic day, parents will have, and I'm just talking waking hours, eight hours a day, um, not the hours during sleep. You don't have, you know, you're not really communicating in sleep unless somebody's snoring way too loud. But anyway... But 64 minutes, 64 minutes. Look at how that breaks down. Nine minutes in the morning includes, did you make your bed? Did you eat your oatmeal? Did you take out the trash? Did you, you got your lunch? You got your books? And you can see that that average time doesn't leave any time for what? Family worship. In most families, people are not learning to relate talking about Heaven. Is that a problem? That's a problem in our world. And that's the challenge that you face out there. You're trying to relate to people who never grew up learning to converse about spiritual things. But we need to learn to do that. Jesus learned how to do that. He had drew all these people because of who he was and what he said, how he said it, and what he focused on. Okay? Those are all important things when we think about growing our sphere of influence. After school, a lot of times parents wouldn't be there, but there's 14 minutes there. Uh, dinner time, uh, pass the salt, um, finish your peas. Um, again, not a lot of time to talk about deep things. Not that there couldn't be. 
how did your day go? I mean, things like that should be discussed, you know. Glad to hear you had a good day. Bedtime, 10 minutes, um, really not, a, is an indication there probably is no family worship going on in the evening, right? There's just not enough time for that in that segment. And so there, there is a, 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 something that takes people's time more than the limited time that parents have with their children. And a lot of the reasons that's limited because parents just feel like they're too busy. Okay, they're working and so forth. And they do actually feel that their kids don't necessarily want to communicate with them. That's happening a lot in our society too. But television takes more time. Uh, average two-year-old to four-year-old watches an average of two and a half hours a day, five to eight, it just gets to more television the older uh, people get. Average screen time, three hours. Ages eight to 12, average time, screen hour, uh, five hours. Teenage years can be up to seven and a half hours a day. Are they learning to relate through that? Well, not the right way. Um, but there's more, it, it's more of a, it, there's more of a problem here than necessarily what they're watching. That is a problem. Because they're, they're looking at how people relate ultimately the wrong way. There's just a lot more violence, a lot more immorality, a lot more crude jesting, and people get entertained with this. But it's really not the appropriate way to relate if you're trying to draw people closer to to heaven. And that is the right kinds of relationships, your best ones. Let's look at a few reasons why this is bad, other than just the content they're watching. Television does not allow children to engage thinking, speaking, and reflecting because they're mostly just processing a picture, you see. And so they're, they're, it's just passively pictorial, but it's not verbal. You know, when Adam was created, he wasn't created with a TV remote in his hand. Adam was created with the ability to just verbally talk. Talk to God, talk to angels. They had children, they would converse. You see, this is actually the way we were made for the development cognitive of the brain was that we weren't supposed to be sitting passively just looking at pictures that are flicking across the screen every three seconds. It's not the way our brain was made. It's not what it was designed for. It was to actually hold conversations with people. Um, and so I'm going to suggest, turn off the TV and start reading. Read and share. Be part of a Bible study group. Read, share, discuss. Talk about, you see. This is actually developing our mind to be healthier, to be able to think even more deeply down the road and learning things. Uh, listening skills, passively listening to television does not allow your child's language skills to develop. He needs to interact with people he can talk and listen to in the context of real life. A child who's conditioned to uh, listening and paying attention based on the sounds and images of television becomes restless and inattentive after a short while. And if there's not enough action in this show, they're craving more, more action. It's almost like an addiction. And so they become more and more dependent on visuals. Do you think the devil's up to anything there? You see, he knows that if, you're, if your brain's developing on visuals... 
you're going to have less of an interest and capability of reading. But if our safeguard is the Bible, we need to think about what, what do I do? How do I think during a day? What's the best way to take care of this brain so as I can dig deeper into the Bible so as not to be deceived? Because when you think about it, Satan's deceptions are almost all imagery. Whether it's a serpent talking like a person in a tree, or whether all the fire that comes down out of heaven in the end of time, he's able to do that so easily. I mean, doesn't it seem odd that people wonder after the beast just because fire came down out of heaven and deceived them? I mean, what's with this? Well, if people grow up thinking by imagery, then they're more pulled by what they see than by reading God's word. You see, does that make sense? So, you know, the devil can't just pass the Sunday law. He's got to condition people's brains so as to be in not the best position to accept truth and keep the truth, okay? Uh, reading comprehension, we talked a little bit about that. Reading requires much more concentration than watching television. And so you're always going to do better the more it takes time to concentrate. But we tend in our fallen nature to gravitate towards what's easier. It's just easier to watch a television show. And the more you watch, the harder it is to, to read and have an interest in reading. So you've got to find a time every day. And after I'd been a Christian for six months, I wasn't a Seventh-day Adventist yet. I'd never even heard of a Seventh-day Adventist yet. But I was a Christian. I was born again. And I read the book of Revelation one night, and an angel literally said this to me, audibly, touching my back. You do what? You do good what? Not watching the television. Boy, you're good with that remote, Jeff. Boy, look at you go. No, he says, you do good reading. You do very good reading. And you know, when I read Revelation that night, I understood it all wrong. I didn't know what it meant. But you know what was important? I was reading. And I kept reading. And I'd read three, four hours a day in my Bible. Three, four hours a day, I just kept reading. Because I knew that whatever I didn't understand, as long as I kept reading, God would give me understanding. It's when I stopped reading that I cut myself off from learning as I could. Does that make sense? Social skills, when children watch too much television, they will not read and have conversations with their parents as much. It's simply a time issue. Uh, puts children at a disadvantage in their personal lives as well as their, their work lives. You know, I mean, we, I know Alina in, in homeschooling our kids really emphasize communication skills, good in English, knowing English really well, their grammar and their voice. And, because you can know something, some other kind of skill, but if you can also communicate it, it opens a lot more doors. Communication really is important. It opens a lot of doors to do work for God. Um, and then the benefits of the cognitive development, uh, the development of language skills helps children improve memory, curiosity, concentration, thinking, and reasoning abilities. And you start thinking about contemplating Bible stories helps Children to make sense of the world. I mean, that was part of the Sabbath school lesson, right? You've got a worldview, and how do children make sense of it if they don't read? 
and then read the right stuff that tells him why is the world the way it is? Why am I the way I am? Can I change? And you start reading stories about missionaries and children have more of a desire to be a what? A missionary. And you start reading them more stories about Abraham and Sarah and Daniel. They want to be more like Daniel and Joseph. They want to take us because people like that have already gone before them and God blessed them. You see, the more you read those kinds of stories, it helps them develop a worldview that there's no possibility of having through just secular material. The Bible actually is the best tool to develop your brain and your mind. In your worldview. Uh, contemplating the prophecies of Daniel and sacred history helps us get a, a sense of past, present, and future, a sense of time. Those images of Daniel helps children to use their imagination and, and understand that God speaks this way at times to us. Um, it's a wonderful part of the commandments, Proverbs. There's all this different kind of literature in the Bible. And children understand through things like that how to ask questions and, oh, why this commandment and why that commandment? Why, why this principle? Why this lifestyle? Why this? Why do we do it this way? And it's a wonderful idea f- for children to begin to think about asking questions and getting answers, but they're thinking. And those wheels are turning. And they're going to be great leaders in God's church if time continues to last. We need young people who think correctly and deeply based on God's word. Well, there are also social benefits. Uh, Children with well-developed language skills, uh, such as attentive listening and clear speech, are more confident in expressing their opinions to others. You know, if you get a child who doesn't express himself well and people make fun of that child, are they less likely to share after that? Yeah, they're less likely to, if, if people are going to make fun of them, they, they're going to kind of hold back. They don't want to be laughed at. So it's good that they learn good grammar and be clear in their speech and things like that and communicate well. Uh, things, all, all things will go better. Um, it helps in our, uh, so two people develop good communication and understanding they're more apt to trust one another. Um, the better a person's understood and they, you, they understand you, are, is your possibility of a friendship better? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and, and then, of course, effective communication helps that relationship to grow. And one of the, I think one of the key things about relationships is to try to mesh it with the word growth. You know, you could say, wherever we are in life, whatever the difficulties, As long as I'm with you, I'm okay, you see, because the relationship's growing. doesn't matter the tests, the number of the trials, but there's a trust, and that trust has been based on communication. And and if you're going to try to deepen your relationships, it's based on trust, and it's also based on good communication. You know, sometimes in families, people get cut off and they don't understand things and they generalize things and they misquote people and they do this and they do that. And what does it do to relationships? It destroys them, you know. And it's just always good to say, now, did I understand you to mean this? Okay. And this is how what I meant, you see. It's very, very important 
to communicate well. <clears throat> then there's the emotional. Language development is also important as it gives children a way of expressing their anger and frustration with words instead of using physical means, such as kicking, punchings, and temper tantrums. You know, and I think that is part of it, is the frustration for some young children. They're not thinking about thinking. They're just, am I understood or not understood? And if I can't get be understood by my words, then I'm going to get attention by, you know. And so when kids can learn to communicate well, they're less likely to fall into the kind of behavior to get the attention or whatever that they feel like they need. Well, let's get back to that. We'll try to focus on these two things uh, quickly. So Christ's method alone, that's quite a word, alone, will give true success in reaching or relating or connecting with people. There's no, there's no other, there's no better thing than this. And you, you begin by mingling with men as one who desires their good. That's not generally what happens in the world. Uh, we, he showed him his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, won their confidence. So let's break that down. He mingled with people as one who desired their good. He sympathized with them, ministered to the needs, wins their confidence, bades them follow me. But before you start mingling, and that may not be as comfortable for some people as others, right? You're saying, oh, Jeff, you say, just go out and start mingling with people. Well, I don't feel comfortable doing that. But what's important is to maybe think about what should I be thinking before I go out and mingle? Is that a fair question? And before I go out mingling with people, what's important is that I've surrendered my life to Jesus. It's also important to realize that Jesus, before I mingle with this person A, he's already there. So I'm not doing this by myself. But I need to submit myself and choose uh, to follow God, give my heart to God, and be willing to get out of my comfort zone. Because how else am I going to meet people? If I keep giving in to my fears, the work's never going to get done. Okay? And when you wake up in the morning, don't count your troubles. Count your blessings. Because if I leave the house counting my troubles, what are the chances I'm going to mingle with people? I'm probably not going to. But if I can count my blessings, I feel better. I feel God's with me. I feel privileged. I feel blessed. And I'm more likely in that mindset to be willing to mingle with someone else. The second, next thing is very similar to that. Don't worry about the past. Uh, fill your mind with thoughts of peace, courage, hope, health, and hope. And the more you, you, if you just keep thinking about your past, your thoughts are really not about mingling with someone else, but about yourself. And you can't change your past. It's, it's history. We can learn from it. But if we can move forward, and think more of peace and courage and health and hope, I'm more likely to mingle with someone as desires are good. Is that you agreed? And then learn something new each day. Because you might say, I don't even know what to say. 
I don't even know what to share. But what if you learn something every day? Whatever you learn that day, you could share. You have something to share. Because that day you just added to your faith. And if you add to your faith, you've got some faith to share. You know, I think a lot of times we don't feel like we have anything to say because we, maybe we already know what we believe. We don't know that there's anything else to learn. And, you know, I already know which day is the Sabbath. And I already know what happens when a person dies. And I I know I shouldn't be putting cheese between my lips. And I know, you know, I just know these things. But there's more to life than that, isn't there, Gregory? Absolutely. And there's things to learn every day to be able to share with Christ or to share Christ with them. And I wanted to say this too. Discipleship's not a preference. Let's see. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Do I want to mingle or not mingle? I don't want to mingle. See, this isn't a preference. It's a command. It is a command to get out of our... Does he understand that we have maybe... Pushes our comfort zone. Does he know that? Absolutely. I'm not saying you have to be the life of the party. I'm just saying that we pray and ask God to bring someone in our life that we can minister to. It doesn't mean it has to be 10 people. It could be one person this coming week. But you're learning something every day and you're starting off with a positive mindset of God's blessings. And you know that God will do it because if he commands it, he's going to supply somebody in your life to minister to. Right? I mean, it just seems logical to me. But Jesus says, go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever what? I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that means that as we... As we go out and mingle and connect with others, he's with us. Not just present, but his power of his presence is with us. And if Jesus is with us and he drew the large crowds, Mm -hmm. and if Jesus is in me and his face was shining like the sun and it was the way he talked, if Christ is in us and we're following him, we're going to have similar results. It's just day by day we're trying to become more like Jesus. For the purpose of being able to relate to people so that we can talk about heaven so that when Christ comes, there's more people who can enjoy all the beans in heaven and everything else. So here's some mingling ideas. Smile and begin in a friendly way. Now, the opposite of that would be say something kind of crude and, you know, nasty or... You're not going to get real far, are you? You know. Remember or learn the person's name. So if I say, you know, Jerry, it's great to see you again. See, it's not even his name. So did that affect our opportunity to talk? Yeah, somewhat. Yeah, absolutely. And then become genuinely interested in the other person. Um, You could say something. Hey, I like the way you, you taught Sabbath school last week. That was great. I re- this is what I learned. I, was, I, I enjoyed this point. Is that showing that I've taken interest? Because now I'm referring to something that he said or something that he did, and people don't notice those things if they don't care. Right? 
And then give compliments and be polite. Make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. Appeal to the nobler motives. Um, you don't, because you're doing it to be heavenly minded, you don't want to start off, you know, somewhere in the gutter. And don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Amen. Okay? So when Jesus, it talks about, I mean, you can find the word compassion with Jesus all throughout. He mingled with people as one who's desired to go, and he showed his sympathy. Jesus showed sympathy if people were weeping. Look at this quote here from Ministry of Healing. The wonderful example of Christ, the matchless tenderness with which he entered into the feelings of others. Weeping with those who wept. Rejoicing with those who rejoiced must have a deep influence upon the character of all who follow him in sincerity. By kindly words and acts, they, they will try to make the path easier or easy for weary feet. Do people, are people weary? Some people realize their, their path is kind of tough. Well, by your words and actions, don't, don't make their path harder. You know, don't say, here, let me throw some broken glass out there for you, you know. Be kind, be courteous, and make their way easier. And if you make their way easier, you have a better opportunity to relate to them and witness to them. Okay? Sometimes you, you meet people who are going through quite a, a struggle with something. You can acknowledge the courage people have for seeking help. Not everybody does seek help. But when someone comes to you and says, you know, c- c- can we talk? And just acknowledge, well... I appreciate your courage because and, and willingness to have to talk with someone and so forth. And then you can talk about clarify, making sure you understand what their needs are. System the best way that you can. This is really, but then check in later. You know, it's not well. I helped them yesterday and I'm done. You know, you can check in a few days later and just see still how they're doing. Okay. Sympathizing words, sympathizing with our words. Uh, if someone lost a loved one, I'm sorry for your loss. My deepest sympathies uh, to you and your family. Sorry to hear about your mother. Or maybe they, they lost their job. I, I'm here for you. Call me anytime. I, I'm so sorry. I know how much time and effort you put in there. Thinking of you at this difficult time. Or maybe they're going through an illness. Miss you around here. Hope you get to feel better soon. But, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. Because have you ever thought or heard someone say, I just don't even know what to say? Well, there's a lot of resources out there about things you could think about saying that can bring comfort to people. And the reality is some people are better at that than that. Some people feel very uncomfortable helping people who are distressed. But I tell you, in our world, there's a lot of suffering going on. And we would do well to take advantage of the resources out there and learn how to initiate a conversation and what to say and go from there. And just know that everything needs to be heaven-bound. Uh, your sympathizing actions, you know, look for an opportunity to immediately be able to help with something. Maybe they need some accommodations or uh, transportation. Be there uh, when they need help. Uh, just being present um, helps a grieving person. Uh, many of you are really good. I mean, some people, well, they're sick. I know they're not going to have time to cook. And so... People help provide some meals, bring some food by. Uh, some others, just listening. You don't necessarily even have to say anything. Just someone being there uh, comforts people. 
Um, uh, sending a note or a card is, is a way in, in telling people that you care about them. Uh, reaching out, just giving someone a hug uh, makes a difference. Um, maybe even helping someone spend some time to help them get out of the house. They've lost a loved one and maybe go for a walk with them or maybe offer to go shopping with them or something just to help them get out of the house, you know. Uh, give of your talents, maybe, um, not that I'm an expert on uh, septic, you know, I did already know, but anyway, uh, help them with the lawn, do the laundry, things like that. Help them with the days ahead. There may be a lot of people when they initially lose a loved one that there is a lot of people. There's 20 people willing to help that day. But a week later, there may not hardly be anybody. And so think in terms that down the road, people still might need help. And just in summary, you know, as far as relating, we always begin where? With our communion with God. He's the one who can teach us about how he made us, and what we learn of him is what we want to exemplify in our relationship with other people. Uh, Be active in a church. Probably one of the best ways to develop relationships and quality relationships is you take time to have a time of worship and communion with God, but then get involved in a church. It really is the best way to do it. Because uh, you're going to be around people that are like-minded and so forth. And so when you meet people out there, encourage them to come to women's ministry. Or encourage them to come to Sabbath school. Sabbath school is actually supposed to be evangelistic. Yes. You know, here's, here's our quarterly. This is what we're studying this week. Uh, I think you'd enjoy our class. There's a discussion and so forth. But you're going to meet a lot of friendly people who care. You know, and for a lot of people, that would mean a lot. Okay? Um, Volunteer, um, whether it's here at church or some of you volunteer at the Y and other places, uh, food banks or whatever. But when you volunteer, you're meeting needs, you're making contacts with people. Um, but you can do it by pen, by phone. But it is important. Neil White even talks about how we should uh, develop better uh, the, the ability of speech. Uh, maybe learn some new words, learn more biblical words, learn more principles, learn to share things, practice things, uh, give some Bible studies. That's going over material over and over. It makes you start becoming kind of an expert at something. I don't mean that, and you know that there's not more to learn, but it's it's when you practice these things, practice good communication is always going to open doors and not close doors. Okay, I think that's the last. I know there's more slides, but. Um, but I know we need to, to close. So next time we're going to talk about e-exercise, and it's not really just going to be about doing jumping jacks. It's about, you know, we, we need to exercise our will. Uh, there's things you can do to exercise your brain. Um, and uh, so we'll talk about different things there as we go through creation. Okay.